Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. If anyone's new, very warm welcome to you. I trust that tonight will be uh, very um, inspiring and informative um, and interesting. Uh, so the topic tonight that we'll be talking about is it's a bit of a um, heavy, bit of a dense topic, um, but there is a lot of good um, to be talked about tonight as well. So I believe um, it's very important for Christians um, to talk about, to think about and talk about some of the big questions of life um, that we've been going over over the past few months. Um, I think it's just quite, it's, it's quite Christ-like actually to be somebody who uses their mind um, that worships God. And so tonight's subject, if it was to be framed as a question, it would be, what happens to us after we die? What happens to us after we die? Is death the final say or do we go to live on in some other life or some, some other sense? As Christians, I'm sure many of us here have quite a tight grip on what we believe happens after death. Um, and for some of us here, maybe you're thinking, gee, I don't really actually know too much about what I believe in the life to come. Um, and so if that's you, um, you've come to the right place. So it's going to be very fun tonight. This is an opportunity, I think, for all of us to sharpen just a little bit up on what we believe about um, immortality and the resurrection. It doesn't take much prodding or research um, before you find cultures throughout all history that have come to different views and different ideas on life, death, and afterwards. Um, we've all heard of the Holy Grail, who's seen those movies with the Holy Grail. What do they want to do? They, they want to drink from this and so that they can live forever. The one who obtains that has immortality. And likewise, we see this with the Fountain of Youth. If you can find this fountain or spring... You know, you just jump, submerge yourself in, you can live forever. Um, another good one is the Philosopher's Stone. The one who wields it, who holds it, um, not only can turn things to gold, but will cheat death and actually live forever. So many people all throughout history have had these beliefs about death and afterwards. But as Christians, we know that immortality is not found in an artifact. It's not found in a thing or some water, or a rabbit on the other side of the moon. Uh, but it's found in a person, and that person is Jesus of Nazareth. And this brings me to the phrase when Jesus says in John, he says that I am the resurrection and the life. The one believing in me, even though he die, he will live. So this evening we want to look at death and immortality from a worldview perspective. We'll be looking at other questions like, are there any, any other views on immortality? Um, or is there just one view on immortality? Um, what does science have to say? Does science have anything to say about life and immortality? And why is it even important for us to talk about this evening? So to help us journey through these uh, questions and this subject, I'm going to ask my friend Sandra Goody to join us this evening. So welcome, Sandra. 
Well, it's great to have you here with us this evening. Thank you. So before we, we jump in and, and dive into the weeds, as it were, um, maybe just share a little bit about yourself and um, why this became a focus for you. Okay. Well, it's firstly, it's my pleasure to be here. Um, I'm currently an academic lecturer at Christian Heritage College, and I'll be teaching the Christian, the core Christian studies units this semester. And previous to that, I was a full-time lecturer at City Point Ministry College, and before that, I was a lecturer at Harvest Bible College. So for the last 10 years, I've been teaching and lecturing theology and biblical studies. Um, I also run a, a ministry called Apologetics Coach, which is just online coaching and courses for people that want to go deeper into their faith. Um, I haven't always done this, and it wasn't, um, I didn't envisage myself in this role in my younger years, and in actual fact, my first career choice was a dancer. So I trained and um, danced with Australian Ballet. But then I got saved, I got dramatically saved, and then I started to trying. Um, merge my faith with my gifts and um, I went to YWAM in Canada, their School of Performing Arts, and that's where I um, used the gifts of dance and the performing arts to do a lot of mission work actually. For a couple of years then I came back here and I started off three dance schools and a dance company and lots of other mission trips and we've done, I've done a lot in the area of arts and mission. Um, yep. Um, then I got married and had three kids, went to uni, <laughs> did a law degree. All this time I was dancing and ministering in just about every department in my home church. Um, but then as I grew older, dancing and running dance schools and companies became rather exhausting and onerous. <laughs> and I went back to study theology. Um, and I really just started that because I had a, a deep love for God and I just wanted, and a very curious mind too, and I wanted to just go further with that. And surprising to me, I did well and others thought so too and invited me to tutor. And so that's when I started um, lecturing. So that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. And I suppose thinking about this, I could characterise my gifts in the area of evangelism because I've been involved with that for a very long time. Um, and then more so now in apologetics, which is the area of defending your faith. So having you know, good reasons and evidence for believing what we do. Um, and discipling others. So that's my main focus at the moment is just discipling the next generation. Amazing. Um, oh, and how I, how I um, yeah. got interested in this topic? Well, I've always been interested in the interface between science and faith. And I started to find out about this phenomenon called transhumanism. And, transhumanism. Um, transhumanism. What is transhumanism? Well, shall I explain that later? Or do you want me to explain that now? <laughs> Yeah, so um, so it was actually right jaw-dropping stuff that I discovered, which I will talk about later. Um, so I set about basically writing a defence to some of these ideas um, from the Christian faith. And, um, yeah, so I wrote a thesis about, um, well, it was called Will Cybernetic Immortality Ever Trump the Eschatological Resurrection of the Dead? So um, that's how that's I became interested in all this. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, out of all topics, um, immortality, do you think that this one is quite important or is this one that's, I mean, how important would you say that this topic of immortality is and does it affect much else 
Yeah, so I think it's um, a very important topic because it basically intersects with just about every other Christian doctrine that there is. So um, it affects, like the first thing is the nature of human beings, like the nature of man, which is called anthropology. It also affects the, um, the area when we talk about the entrance of sin or the fall of man, which is the area of harmatology. It also affects what redemption salvation is, which in theological terms is soteriology. Um, also, who Christ is, which is Christology. And what is the end goal of God in creating humankind, which is the area of eschatology. So it does touch on every doctrine of the Christian faith, and it's very That's important. It's quite broad. But why does it all matter, and why should we care, mm. I suppose, is that... The most important question. Um, so I have four points to say about that. Firstly, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The afterlife is real and when we die, our personhood does continue. So that's an important point. Um, secondly, it really does matter how we live our lives. Although this world is temporal, we have everything that we do in this world has a significance and it has an effect on the world to come. So our life is very meaningful in this world. Um, and thirdly, the choices that we make in this world are also very important and they echo on through eternity. And I'm a very big picture person, so I like to, I like to know what's coming up. <laughs> and um, so I'm very keen, like I was very keen to research what happens when we die and well not just what happens when we die but what does the bible say about eschatology like what is the end game basically what's the end game what's my goal so i know how to live this life significantly and last the last point which i think is very important is just the fact that god is the judge of the whole world and that everybody will stand before him whether they believe in him or not is quite irrelevant but everyone will stand before God and give an account for their lives. So this is, like, for me, great motivation to live a righteous life. Not, not because I'm known being judged, but because, well, it, when it is. I mean, yeah, there's a sober Hardly. point that we are being judged and we have to give an account for the gifts that we have and the opportunities we have. So there are four points why this subject's important. I think those are great points. Let's start with just a few definitions, I think, because maybe some people here might be wondering what is immortality, uh, what does it mean, um, and perhaps maybe it's helpful to talk about um, death just briefly before we talk about immortality. Um, what is, from a biblical perspective, what is death? Okay, so that's a, a huge subject. Mm. Um, death. Well, that's I a small question. <laughs> How do I say this succinctly and with clarity. So firstly, there's three kinds of death. So there's firstly, there's physical death, which is the separation of our soul from our body when we physically die. And we're all well aware of that. Secondly, there's spiritual death, which basically is our alienation from God. And that's the opposite state of eternal life. So when, when, when we don't have eternal life, we are separated and alienated from God. That's spiritual death. And then thirdly, there's eternal death. And what is eternal death? Eternal death is when spiritual death becomes permanent. So it's basically the end state of all those who turn away from God forever and ever. Um, so 
I know that you all know this, but I'm just going to uh, like just trot, trot out the theology yeah. behind this, Please basically. Do. So at the fall, so when Adam fell at the very beginning, he lost um, immortality um, because God didn't create him um, sinful. He created him good. But um, immortality came as a loss of his sin and also a categorical separation from God. Um, and so the scripture for that is Genesis two seventeen. In the day that thou eatest of the fruit, thou shalt surely die. So that was God's pronouncement on um, Adam's... It was really treason. <laughs> you know, he believed the lie over and above his creator God and it had really catastrophic consequences. You know, it wasn't just like he ate an apple... You know, he actually, it was a treasonous thing to do to um, disobey God's command and to basically, you know, like swear allegiance to his usurper. So it was a very, very serious and grave thing that happened in the beginning. Um, Ezekiel 18, 4 says, the soul that sins shall die. And Romans six twenty three says, the wages of sin is death. So the scripture gives us a clear definition of how sin and death came into humankind therefore all of us because we've all come from Adam and Eve we all grow old and die I mean that's just normal and natural for us but it wasn't really normal in the beginning (laughs) it wasn't how God created us God did not create us as sinful beings and that's a very important point he created us good and that we could have lived forever um, if we did not sin but that catastrophic mistake meant that that kicked in that cycle of sin and death. Um, so that's the first death spoken of in scripture. So the death of the, the separation at death, physical death. Um, so Romans 5.12 says, As through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death passed unto all men for all that sinned. And 1 Corinthians 15.22, it says, In Adam all die. So we were in the loins of Adam, as it were, in the beginning, and we all are descendants of Adam and Eve, and so we're all subject to that kind of death. Um, However, death, I mean, death is a horrible thing, you know, and it's actually foreign and hostile to human life. As I said, it wasn't what God um, envisaged for us in the beginning, but it came as a result of disobedience. Um, So it's an intrusion into the life and the world that God made, which is why at the very end, the very end goal, the end goal of the Bible (laughs) is that God will overcome death. And well, he already has through Jesus, I'll walk through that. But in the very end, death itself is thrown into the lake of fire and there's a a complete um, victory over death. Um, So in the Bible, it talks about death as a judgment in Romans 1.32. Um, as a condemnation in Romans 5.16. It's also a mercy, as we were talking about. Um, mm. Death is a mercy because if we were not kicked out of the garden, we, it says in Genesis like that we were kicked out of the garden so that Adam could not participate of the tree of life in his sinful state because that would mean that he would then be eternally condemned to be sinful for eternity and God in his mercy and his love did not want that and he had a plan to redeem us. So it was actually important that we were kicked out of the garden and, um, you know, it was a long 
It's a long haul through history and enabled to redeem us and in the fullness of time Jesus came and reversed the curse, etc., etc. But um, that our physical death is actually a necessary step in us being redeemed and um, restored back to God, if that makes sense. I found sense. that fascinating when I first came to learn about that, yeah, that, that there was mercy involved in that separation. Yes, yes. As well, not just a judgment, but also a mercy of God. That's right. That's really and, and that means that like all human beings, even though we're fallen, we still carry this echo of God in us. In a sense, we still carry this... Um, this kind of vision of paradise as it was, you know, and we're all yearning. We all yearn for eternal life. We yearn to be connected to God. We want to go back to paradise. And as Mitch was saying at the beginning, you know, every his, every ancient civilization um, has this yearning and has their own story about immortality, but it's really in the very fabric of what it means to be human because we were created to have eternal life and to be one with God. So we all feel the loss of that. And we're all searching for that. And that's, you know, that's something that we share with every human being, which is a really helpful thing when you're trying to share the gospel because, you know, we're all made in the image of God and we all have that yearning to be reunited to God because that was how he started and that's the end goal. And everything in between is a, a very big journey. <laughs> it sounds like the big picture that you were talking about. Yeah, that's right. Um, did you want me to go on on that? Or well, I think if that's... That's a fair definition of death. I think immortality is probably the next thing. Like, how, w- how would we define immortality from um, a biblical perspective um, now that we've looked at death? Yeah, okay. Um, and is um, there just one view of it, or are there yeah, multiple so wh- wh- views of it? Which one did you want to do first? <laughs> we'll, we'll start with <laughs> the biblical. There's, there's a lot to cover on this topic in such a small amount of time. Uh, so, yeah. Actually... Do you mind if I just go over the others first? Great. Because I yeah. end on what biblical immortality is and then we can unpack that a bit more. So um, belief in the afterlife is universal. As I said, it existed among all cultures and nations in the world throughout all recorded history, from the sophisticated preservation of mummies in the Egyptian pyramids and the ancient civilizations to the quest for immortality now in cutting-edge science in the area of transhumanism, which I'll unpack a bit later. Um, so according to Kreft, who's just an apologist, he says there's six basic um, categories <laughs> for um, immortality or views on immortality. So the first one is materialism. So this is basically what an atheist would hold to, that we're just physical and material and when we die there's nothing left. Okay, that's it. You go into the ground and everything's over, Red Rover. Um, and we just disappear into nothingness. So that's the materialist view. The second one is just paganism, and they believe um, that kind of a vague, shadowy, ghost-like being survives the grave, Um, but it's less than human. You know, it's just sort of like a wispy, ghosty type of thing. (laughs) So that's paganism. The third one, of course, is the Eastern um, view of reincarnation, So they believe that when we die, we get reincarnated either into another human being or an animal depending on your karma. So whether you did good things or bad things, you end up as a a rat or, (laughs) or, you know, in a different station in life. So, um, you know, Hinduism and stuff like that, when you believe that um, it's quite fatalistic, you know, and you have to kind of die so you can actually upgrade into like a better life. So that's basically reincarnation. 
The fourth one is pantheism, which again is another Eastern view. And they believe that death changes nothing, that we're just all one big universal energy, um, basically. Um, all, all is one, changeless, eternal, perfect, spiritual, all-inclusive reality, and they call that Brahman. Um, and so all separateness is just an illusion. That's the pantheistic worldview. Um, then there's just immortality, which uh, is the view that believes that your soul survives. Um, your soul survives death, but not the body. So when you die, there is a separation of spirit and soul. And your soul either goes to heaven and hell, and, uh, and it may pass through some intermediate state, which we may talk about. Um, so, but what survives is just this individual bodiless spirit. So you never get a body back again. So basically this is like platonic type of view, the Greek view, and it's often confused with Christianity. I mean, I'm quite surprised that some Christians believe this, that, oh, when I say believe this, but, you know, they just think that we, we die and we go to heaven, we're just a, like a little spirit wafting around on clouds playing harps. <laughs> That's not really a biblical end goal for humanity. So the very last one, which is biblical immorality, is basically resurrection. So that's um, the Christian view that at death the soul separates from the body and then it's reunited at the end of the world with its new immortal resurrection body by God's divine power. It is dimly prophesied and hopeful in the Old Testament and clearly um, revealed in the New Testament and demonstrated by Jesus Christ in history. So that's, that's the last one, that's the biblical immortality. But the, it's interesting to know all the other views, especially when you're talking to people and you're trying to share your faith with them. The very first thing I do is I find out what type of worldview they have. You know, what do you believe? What do you believe in God? And, and the second question is, what kind of God do you believe in? <laughs> and you need to kind of know that information first before you even try to share the gospel. I think that's really helpful. I've had some conversations before with some non-believers and one of the first things I've found that's important to establish is common ground yeah. and try to find somewhere that you agree on and uh, to save talking past each other, you know, because um, the same word, you could be using the same word, but it could have different meanings depending on what you think about it, you know. Yeah, so absolutely. I think that's really... So six different categories, that's a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, th I think it's, it's fascinating. Do you think that there's a maybe one major competing view um, of immortality that's maybe as Christians that we come up against is there is there like a, a major competing one um, yeah is this where you want me to go into transhumanism I think so <laughs> this, is this is probably the the materialism sort of um, part yeah here. okay that question I'll just put them aside <laughs> we're out of order I think I've just jumped <laughs> I think I just okay. jumped three whole pages there that's my fault so um, okay, so Mitch asked me if there's a competing view of immortality. Um, so this is where the phenomenon of transhumanism comes in. Um, so it's a, a movement and a philosophy, it's actually a philosophy, um, and the gurus of this movement basically desire and propose to achieve um, a, like a technological immortality by 2030 is actually there. Uh, date, whether they need to push that back or not. But they are working furiously, a lot of people, and there's a lot of different ways they're trying to do this, and they're trying to create human beings to be immortal, to live forever. So some of the, the leading names on this, if anyone wanted to 
look into it any further is um, well, Ray Kurzweil, who is the lead engineer at Google, <laughs> and he is a leading transhumanist guru. And he's got lots of things up on YouTube about their agenda and it's very well planned and it will shock you. <laughs> um, Nick Bostrom is another leader in Oxford and he's very influential. And there's a whole movement called Humanity Plus and they all have this transhuman and post-human agenda for the future. And there's many other people too and I've done a whole lot of research on this. But um, so what is transhumanism? <laughs> Good to start with a definition, and this is just a simple one. It's basically transforming our human body into a cyborg, like a hybrid between a human being and a machine. And they do this by either um, uh, physiologically, like through our human body, or um, intellectually through tampering with our human brain and making it a part of cyber networks basically trying to make us into superhuman people. Um, and before you think that this is just science fiction, <laughs> it actually is the agenda of the transhumanist. And this is what got me into actually writing a defence of this from a theological point of view um, and then just studying a lot about immortality. And, yeah. Um, and then post-human is another term that goes beyond transhumanism. So transhumanism is is still kind of um, using our body, like upgrading our body, whether it's our mind or our body, to be kind of superhuman. And post-human is when we basically, um, like, d they want to dispose of our physical, biological body altogether. Um, and that's, yeah, once our minds are uploaded either into a prosthetic human body or a machine substrate. So, that's all very weird, and <laughs> I know, but this is what they're already doing. Um, so there's a myriad of uh, science fiction movies addressing these kind of issues, and I'll, I'll just... I mean, it's been going on for decades, but they just keep getting more and more advanced. So you may have um, watched any of these, but I'll just... Do you want me to name a few? Yeah, please do, yeah. <laughs> so movies that, that deal with all these things, it started off... I haven't got all the... Um, the dates that these were released, but I have back home. Uh, Ghost in the Shell, um, Gattaca, The Matrix, The Island, Iron Man, Splice, Avatar, Her, Transcendence, Lucy, Limitless, Advantageous, Upgrade, Replicas, Anon, I Am Mother, and the Netflix by Richard Morgan called Altered Carbon. And that's really like super futuristic. And that is already like uploading bodies and dying and all sorts of things. And when you, when you watch these things, you just think, oh, that could never happen. That's just out there. But it's actually on the agenda, which is quite shocking, I think. Um, so do you want me to keep talking about that for a little Maybe bit? just a little bit more on that, yeah. Um, just like the – it seems – for me personally, it seems hard to grasp how our thoughts or our consciousness – um, or identity could be uploaded in some kind of immaterial way or how do you, can you help me you understand that a little bit more? Yeah, so it is a very wild idea. Um, basically, they're trying to achieve a technological immortality and that's why this is germane to this subject. And there's basically one or two ways that you can do it. So the first one is called radical life extension, which is RLE. 
and that includes just all the latest technology that can prolong our lives, you know, like they've got nanobots, nanobots now that can go into your system and, like, you know, detect what's wrong and put it right in your genes and all that sort of thing or anything that goes into your body that can, um, you know, preserve your youth or your beauty or turn back the clock um, or... Or is that... Mm, yeah, so they're doing a lot of work on super soldier stuff and things like that. How <laughs> to Like they start off with excess skeletons and then they're now like experimenting with things that actually help soldiers like the military not to have to sleep so much, you know, be able to see in the night and all these <laughs> really... Superhuman. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they are actually working on these things. So that's the first way they tried to, like, so that's embodied immortality, so just upgrading us. The second one is disembodied immortality, which another word for that is cybernetic immortality. And that's, um, and that's like, uploading our mind and things like that. So there's five ways in which they can do all this. Um, so one's developing artificial intelligence and developing machine intelligence to a greater and greater degree. Um, the second way is whole brain emulation. I think that's what you were asking about. That's uploading our brain to a computer. So they're basically mapping the patterns of the brain and putting it on a computer, like basically on a USB or something. Um, they've already done that with um, mice. So they've been able to do it with mice, but they're trying to do it with human beings. And there is one guy called Martin Rothbart, I think his name, and he, um, well, he, he was a he, now is a she, <laughs> but he has developed um, a machine, like, of just from here, I've seen it, from here upwards, a, a face of his wife and, um, and uploaded all her memories and patterns and everything in there. So, he, so if his wife dies, he now has this kind of, uh, what do you call it, like a clone. An immortal <laughs> face. Well, yeah, and, but like with all her, her you know, um, patterns and stuff, yeah. And so he... Memories? Yeah, memories. So he models that and he, talk, he talks to her and she talks back and everything. I mean, the wife's standing there. So, I mean, this is like the cutting edge stuff that's happening at the moment. Um, and then there's um, biological cognitive enhancements. So, so that's increasing our capacities. Like that's the examples I said with about the military and the super soldiers and stuff like that. Um, then there's brain-computer interfaces. And that's connecting our brain to technology. So putting all these little wires in here and connecting it to a computer. Now, you may have heard of Elon Musk. He has, he's doing this with Neuralink. So he's already got like 0.1 version of this. And um, it's on the market now. People are using it for things like Parkinson's disease and stuff like that. But if you've ever heard him speak, he's got much grander designs for it than that. And he sees this as a very positive thing. He wants to be able to like um, at, you know, allow your brain to be connected to the internet so therefore I can have instant knowledge of anything I like, you know, like I can be just like Superman. But of course the problem with this, it goes both ways. It's like that to me is extraordinarily dangerous because it means that other people have then has control what goes into your brain as well. Um, 
And, but like he sees this as a really good thing. He actually wants to even get rid of speech. He want, wants to just sort of like send my thoughts to another person and things like that. So it's wild. And I know you probably don't even believe me. but well, It <laughs> sounds very radical. <laughs> it's awesomely radical. And um, so you can see why I immediately wanted to write a defence uh, to this from a, a theological point of view because these are all very ethical issues. As you can see, you know, we're just losing um, control of the human being and it's the complete opposite of us that God made us in the Imago day to have dominion on the earth so one of the conclusions of my whole thesis was that we should never allow um, artificial intelligence or you know this super machine because they would talk about singularity when machines take over and we just become like their pets type of thing and I know it sounds outrageous but you know this is where they're heading and so I'm going we should never let that happen, you know, because we were given dominion. So no machine should have dominion over human beings because we're the God-given, um, you know, custodians of the earth. So, so trying to push back on ethics um, and theological, in, from a theological point of view of all these kind of um, things that are afoot. So is that enough? <laughs> That's a lot. I'm sure we could talk for like a lot longer on that topic. Yeah. Um, did we want to go just a, a bit more into the biblical um, understanding of immortality? Um, maybe touch a little bit on the uh, intermediate state. So after we die, mm -hmm. what happens, biblically speaking? And then in the end, um, what, what happens all the way right to the very end sort of thing? Yes. Um, okay, good. So um, what is biblical immortality? Very good question because <laughs> a lot of confusion out there. Um, so Job asks in Job 14, 14, if a man die, shall he live again? Um, so for the Christian, the answer to that comes in Jesus' words in John 11, 25, 26, where he says, is this the one you quoted at the beginning? Probably is. <laughs> Maybe we'll find out. I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives in me, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now that's a just a stupendous promise <laughs> you know he's promising us that we have overcome death that we will never die um, and in John eight fifty one, Jesus says truly truly I say to you if anyone keeps my word he will never see death well what does Jesus mean by that because he obviously doesn't mean physical death um, but he means the death of the real you so that means when we do die we don't just go into the ground that our personhood continues. So there's this continuation of who we are when we physically die. Um, so what Christianity teaches is that we are an undying soul. Um, what does that mean? That consciousness lives on after death. Um, and, and this is not just Christianity. Plato believed this. Socrates believed it. Uh, Judaism believes it. Um, a lot of people believe it. In fact, we were just talking the other day. The idea, that, like the atheistic idea that we're just nothing, zip, you know, <laughs> is quite a modern idea. Um, you know, in ancient civilizations, in ancient history, they all believed in immortality. I mean, they may have believed in the wrong gods and demigods and all the rest of it, but everyone believed in a spiritual world and, and that we would live forever someplace. Um, so... For Christianity, our body is occupied with an incorporeal essence which carries a distinct imprint of our consciousness and our unique identity. That's the real us. 
Um, however, our consciousness is not the same as our brain. Our brain and our mind is different. Um, your brain is like a computer. It's like a physical computer. Um, it's not your soul, but it's connected to you through your body. So, if that makes sense. That makes sense um, to me. After death of your human body, your soul vacates your body. And what, what vacates is the, your essence, which it carries the unique imprint of your consciousness. So, you have consciousness when you leave your body. Um, and it goes on to one of two possible destinations in final judgment. And then there is an intermediate state, which I can unpack if you like. And then finally to two final destinations, either heaven or hell. So in some theories, you're transported immediately to the resurrection. That's if you're outside of time. But the most orthodox view is that when you die, um, you, well, if it's in New Testament times, you go straight to be with the Lord. So you're with the Lord until you're resurrected, until you get your um, resurrected body. So just a couple of scriptures around that. So do you want me to go over that? Yeah, yeah. The biblical evidence for this includes... Um, the example of Jesus speaking to the dying thief on the cross and he said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. That's Luke 23, 43. Um, so that, you know, it's really important to know that our transition is quite immediate after death that we do continue. We, there is a continuity of our personhood. The big question is where do we go? You know, and for, uh, fortunately, yes, the Bible gives us very definitive answers, but they're brief. <laughs> you know, they're brief. We have the broad strokes of what happens when we die, but we don't have all the detail. There's, you know, I must say there's a lot that we don't know and there's a lot of mystery still surrounding some of these um, ideas, but the Bible gives us everything we need to know, um, you know, to live righteously and to have a hope for the future. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5, 1, 2... It says, we know if the tent that our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So that's quite clear that we have something waiting for us. <laughs> Verse 4, we long that what is mortal may be swallowed up with life. In verse 8, it says, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from our body and at home with the Lord. So that's very clear that um, we continue on after our physical death. We go to be with the Lord. In Philippians 1.23, Paul says he desires to depart and be with Christ, but says at the time he will remain in the flesh for your benefit. So he clearly has overcome the fear of death <laughs> and is very inspired to, um, well, he really wants to go home. Like he, he's convinced that, like, you know, the other side of death is a better place for him. In Hebrews 12, 23, it says that we have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So there definitely is a place where the righteous are waiting, waiting for a resurrection. And in Revelation 6, 9, John says, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So there's people who have been martyred for Jesus that are waiting under the throne of God now. Um, for the end, for Jesus to come back and the, the judgment to come and all the rest of it. Um, so, briefly, what happens when we die? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got some time. So, um, so, when a believer dies, he goes straight to be with the Lord or what we'd say heaven at the moment. And that's sort of evidenced by the scriptures that I've just called, uh, just sort of 
shared with you then. Um, so heaven is not our it, it's not our end place. It's it's a when well, I shouldn't say a holding place, but it's a temporary place until we're resurrected again, and then like the end goal is that we come back and live on the earth in our resurrected bodies, which some Christians aren't fully aware of. <laughs> they think that you know it's just like the end goal is to go to heaven, but um, that's not quite the end. You need to go a bit further than that. Um, prior to Jesus' resurrection, uh, believers did not go to heaven because there was no resurrection from the dead. Um, so prior to Jesus' resurrection, uh, the righteous dead went to Sheol, which is a, a Jewish term, Sheol, or the Greek term is Hades, which basically means the grave um, or, you know, like into the ground. Mm. Um, and so Sheol is just the grave or in the ground. So both whether you the righteous or the wicked, when you died uh, pre-Christ, they went into Sheol. But in Sheol, there was at, at least two compartments. There was Gehenna, where were the wicked ones, and then the other compartment was either called, um, sometimes called Abraham's bosom or Abraham's lap or Genadem, which is basically just, again, Hebrew for paradise. And so, um, you know, remember the... Lazarus. Yeah, Lazarus from Luke. So there was a very distinct, like almost parallel compartments in the grave, uh, when, uh, well, in the underworld, which I personally believe is in the centre of the earth, but I could be wrong. <laughs> but there's a lot of... Interesting. Um, yep. Um, and so they were both there, um, kind of existing in parallel worlds, but with a big gulf between them, you know, as per Luke. Um, but then when Jesus was resurrected from the dead he went to Sheol and opened the gates of limbo and led the old testament saints into heaven with him leading a host of captors and that is recorded in ephesians 4 8 and also it quotes actually psalm 68 so that's the scriptural reference for that um, and this belief is often referred to as the hallowing of hell I don't know if you've heard that, but that's basically Jesus um, uh, emptying the righteous from the grave and he took them up to heaven with him. So, but now, like post-Jesus' resurrection, if you're a believer and you die, you go straight to be with the Lord. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So um, this harrowing of hell, it was often, it was... Uh, was in Passion Plays. They used to um, kind of enact this out of Jesus breaking into hell and leading out the Old Testament saints and things like that. Um, so the righteous dead at the moment are in heaven awaiting either, well, their resurrected bodies and the second coming of Christ and then they will come back to earth and reign for a thousand years in the millennium with Christ. Um, so that's what happens if you're on the winning side. <laughs> so that's for the believers. Unfortunately, there is the reverse side of that. So for an unbeliever, when he dies, he goes to Sheol too, which is the grave. Um, but he remains there um, in a holding place. So that's not technically hell yet. So he remains there until um, the great white throne judgment, actually. Um, which is the very end of this age, which is beyond the thousand years. 
So, like, biblically, the chronology is that um, Jesus returns with his resurrected saints and the believers currently. Um, they rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years and then the end of that, Satan is led out of the pit and he, uh, he inspires some of the people still left over from the end of the tribulation, whatever, to come up against Jerusalem and the saints and Christ and everything. And then Christ has a very definitive judgment then and the whole earth is actually purged by fire and then there's the new heavens and the new earth. Now, at that point, that, that judgment is what the Bible refers to as the great white throne judgment, which you can find in Revelation 20 from about 11 to 14, I think. And that's when everyone's resurrected. I remember when I first found out about this, I thought, this is bizarre because <laughs> I just thought, oh, it's only the righteous that are resurrected and, you know, I'm not sure what happens to everyone else. But everybody's resurrected. And I don't know about you, this actually, I think, is a, a really motivating thing for me when I'm sharing the gospel because if I understand that everybody will be resurrected and stand before the judgment seat of Christ um, that's a very sobering thing you know so everybody will stand before the great white throne judgment it says if your name is not found in the book of the life um, you will be cast into the lake of fire which is like the end game and then it says that death and Hades too will also be um, thrown into the lake of fire and then there's this weird Jewish thing that there may be <laughs> in Jewish theology, rabbinical theology, that there may be a third group of intermediaries. So in their time in the grave when they're waiting for the judgment that they're... And, and look, this is not canonical. Canonical? Yeah, canonical. Canonical? canonical yeah. <laughs> or in a creed or anything. And I'm just, you know, so it's it's speculative, but it's I've done, been doing a deep dive in the rabbinical literature. And um, so that they get to, on the Great White Throne Judgment, they get to decide, well, they don't get to decide, but they can kind of turn to Christ. Um, kind of like a second chance for some... Almost like a second chance. And it's based on, I'm not making this up, <laughs> it's mm. based on the Jewish festivals of... Um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So the, the Jewish festivals, is, Rosh Hashanah is like the Day of Atonement, the Day of Judgment. You come before um, God and you repent of your sins and there's seven days, I think, before Yom Kippur and then at Yom Kippur it's decided whether you have judgment to live another year or die another year. So it's kind of based on that um, that pattern that, um, yeah, anyway, Super that's interesting. just extra. <laughs> I'm not, I, don't know whether, I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's what some, some of the rabbis believe about the end of the life. So did we cover everything there? I think that's about, a lot. Is that good yeah. so far? That's, there's a lot there? <laughs> there is a lot there, yeah. Um, it's, it, it's quite involved, isn't it? There's like... Yeah. When you take all the biblical data and you add it all up, there's. I can understand why some people might find it a little bit confusing at first when you you hear about there's Sheol and then Hades and then Tartarus and then mm. Gehenna and then there's different millennials and stages. And I know it's actually quite complex. Yeah, no. I remember like yeah. when I did a deep dive and there's something. Oh my goodness, this is really complex. And just to add to the complexity, <laughs> even in hell, there's different 
uh, degrees and levels and compartments in hell. So we've got Tartarus, which is like the deepest level of hell, and that's where the fallen angels are held in chains, and it talks about that in, is it 2 Peter and Jude? Yeah, it's either 1 Peter and Jude. So that's the, the angels who didn't keep their proper abode. They are chained in judgment in Tartarus. And then there's um, Abaddon, which is another compartment for the, where the demons are, which I believe from which they will be let loose on the earth in Revelation. So, so there's this. There's demonic hordes there, there's fallen angels and there's the wicked dead. <laughs> um, and so it's quite complex and it's the same with heaven, you know, like there's different kind of levels in heaven as it were, which, which makes sense for just God that he would punish people according to their crime and he would rep- reward people according to their righteousness. So, you know, when we first understand the afterlife, we just think it's kind of quite black and white, heaven and hell, you know, angels and demons. It's actually extremely complicated and very, and like based on the justice of God and the character of God. Like you know, we often worry that somehow we're kinder than God is, you know, and, and people um, get very concerned about the doctrine of hell and all the rest of it. We talked about others yesterday. But um, we don't have to worry about that because there is another scripture that says, yeah, will not the Lord of the earth do what is right? He is just. You have no worries. You have no need to worry whether God is going to be just or not. There's so many scriptures that says he will judge us according to what we know. You know, he will judge us rightly and justly. And we don't have to worry about people going to hell that don't deserve to go to hell. Um, You know, but in saying that, Jesus Christ is the doorway to heaven and there's no way you can get into heaven but through Christ, you know. I love what you said earlier, you know, in Revelation it talks about death and Hades getting thrown into this lake of fire and that it's talked about through scripture that death being the final enemy mm. of God and he will destroy that right in the end, right at the end, yes. um, giving us this hope for um, an eternal immortality. Yes, so I should go further on to that. So the whole timeline, the chronological there, chronology there, sorry, um, so you've got the millennium, then you've got the great white throne judgment, then you've got the new heavens and earth, where heaven and earth come back to kind of similar to how it was in the beginning before we fell, but actually infinitely better in some ways because the redeemed are no longer just innocent and naive as Adam and Eve was. We have like tasted of sin and decided against it and chosen God, so we're kind of mature. You know, it's humanity is mature. And we've made this irrevocable decision to serve Christ. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, can you choose again, like, away from God in the, you know, you have all these interesting conversations. But after that, so the Jews call that the eighth day. So the eighth day is the new world to come. And that's the new heavens and the new earth. So that's when this earth will be refined by fire, but it will be uh, renewed and recreated. Um, and purged and purified of all sin and death and evil. And we can hardly even imagine that because we, we've never experienced it. We've, we're born into a fallen world. Um, but that is actually the hope to come, you know. And, like, often when I get depressed with everything going on at the moment, I've literally had my head in heaven, you know. Like, I've, I've had my head in the promises of the world to come um, because they're very real 
and they're very exciting. That's mm-hmm. a great hope. Mm-hmm. I think, um, did we want to just briefly talk about, um, we mentioned materialism and their view of life and death, mm-hmm. um, and that after death there's no consciousness, there's no personhood, no nothing. Um, do you want to compare the two? Because I think that ma- materialism seems to be the dominant view, at least what I, when I talk to people outside of church. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the view of, yeah, oh, we just die, and that's very natural. Um, but we've talked about earlier that um, death originally, well, death isn't natural for, mm-hmm. for a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, death is not, was not the idea from the beginning. It wasn't the intention of God. Um, in terms of God desires for us to live forever with him. Um, so you've got a contrast there where on one worldview it says that death is quite normal and natural. Mm. Um, and in some sense it's actually kind of good because it brings on something that's even stronger or better. Um, but the Christian view is like totally opposite to that. Um, did you want to maybe, could we talk about some uh, ramifications or problems that can come as a result of a faulty view of immortality. Yeah, I was just going to read um, a scripture. Well, put it this way. Death is only a hopeful thing for believers. Mm. I mean, other than that, death is horrible. I mean, it is horrible. When you lose someone, the grief, I mean, all you've got to do is look at people's experience. When you lose people, the grief and the loss is almost unbearable for some people, um, particularly if you believe that you've lost them forever and you'll never see them again. And, you know, I think it's a tragic thing. Um, I mean, just this week I've had a per- like personal experience of death. I found out only today that some very good friends of mine, their son died like a day ago. He was only 18 and had taken tragically short of life. And then earlier in the week, my best friend lost her mother. So, like... You know, like death is horrible. It's a, it's horrible, and it's only acceptable um, if we know that we will live again. You know, and that we'll see our loved ones again, um, and that we will be literally resurrected, and that we will actually live forever. I mean, that's the hope. I really can't imagine how it would be if I believed that, um, you know, like death was the end. It, it, it would it would be catastrophic for me personally because I just think that, I mean, like, how does that affect the significance of your life? You know, how do you cope with loss? Um, I just find it a, a completely unsatisfactory view. And it's not because it's unsatisf- unsatisfactory, but, you know, because the Bible tells me something else is true. Um, but it gives no impetus to live a righteous life, you know, or a moral life because if there's nothing after death and there's no accountability to anyone, you know, why don't we just eat, drink and be happy and for tomorrow we die and, you know, we can do anything we like. Um, we wouldn't have the same care for other people because there'd be no accountability for it and, you know, it wouldn't matter to anybody. So everyone would be incredibly selfish <laughs> And, and unfortunately, a lot of people with that worldview do operate at, you know, on those sort of premises and those sort of worldviews that like, well, I'm only here, you know, 50, 80 years or whatever, so I'm going to have my best life now and I'll just, 
get all I can and do all I want to do and then that's the end. You only die once, you know, that's what people say. Um, it leads to a very unrighteous life and a very selfish life and also just to a very, I think, unsatisfying life. Like, um, it, it's very unattractive and undesirable <laughs> to me to have that kind of... What if they do achieve immortality here? Do you think that it... Um matches up to the biblical understanding of immortality uh, with yeah. suffering and problems that we have here, even if we could live forever? Yeah. Well, no, because that was the conclusion of my thesis, <laughs> basically that whatever immortality that we could possibly attain through technology would be infinitely um, inferior to the resurrection that we have. I mean, just on every point, and one of the main things, which was a whole chapter of my thesis, was the problem of sin, <laughs> you know. So we die, when we die as believers, our sin nature is taken out, you know, like it's done with. Whereas like if you lived, I can't think of anything more monstrous, like living in this world, in a sin-stained world, um, where there's still the propensity to sin. So like, you know, you've got all these superpowers, but like, so you haven't eradicated sin. You've still got a sin problem. You're still going to get some people... Um, with evil motives that want to use and abuse others um, and put themselves at the top of the tree, etc. So it's, there's a sin problem. There's enormous ethical problems, problems of justice, uh, the divide between, you know, the rich and the poor, um, you know, those that can afford the technology and the superpowers and those that can't, you know, humanity bifurcating into two kind of... Um, you know, levels. And not everybody could afford it. Like, you would have the rich people becoming immortal and then the poor people, you know, they would just die off, wouldn't be able to afford to have this immortality or whatever the technology is that gives you immortality. Um, yes. What so about the, the mourning and the losses of just countless dead people, people that you love, things like that? I mean, what do you do about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I just can't imagine it. And to be honest, I don't think... Jesus will allow it. I think he'll be back before they reach those goals. And I do think that they're um, dangerous mm. on a whole manner of levels. I think, well, we're coming close to the end. We've got just a couple of minutes. I wanted just to close with um, a thought um, or question, rather. If there was one thing that you would emphasize on the topic that we're talking about, um, what would that be? Um, well, two probably. First is fear not. Um, I wanted to read that scripture. Oh, there it is. Good. Because <laughs> this is the best scripture on this. Hebrews 2, 14, 16. Wherefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. So, yeah, my final thought is that we should be a people who do not fear. I mean, Jesus is always saying, fear not, fear not. And I think if we can overcome the fear of death, we're ahead of the game. We're ahead of just about 99% of the population because especially at the moment with COVID and everything else, People are living in fear and anxiety. I'm constantly ministering to people, you know, to overcome their fear and anxiety on all different levels and even very mature Christians. And it's the thing at the moment. 
the, the spirit of fear is the thing that we have to deal with, that we're challenged with, and I'm not belittling that, but I am saying that Christ said, do not fear. You know, do not fear this world I have overcome, and you're not to live in fear, and that you, you know, what's the worst thing can happen? I die and I go to be with my maker. I mean, that's pretty, that's not bad. I mean, I'm not saying that death's not terrible and horrible, but it's not the worst thing that can happen to a person. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we're cut off and separated from God forever. And that is just like so simple, but it's profound and it should really motivate us to not live fearful lives and to be like, you know, channels of life and hope to other people who are desperately tied up in anxiety. And the second one is not to be fearful of sharing the gospel. You know, don't believe that lie that you're imposing your belief on someone. Like, you know, you're not. The most loving thing you can do with, to force someone is to share the gospel because that is the gift of eternal life. There's nothing more precious than the gift of eternal life. So don't be fearful of sharing the word with others because it is the best gift that you could ever give them. So they were my two take-homes. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Sandra, for, for coming tonight. That was awesome. Um, and uh, it's been a blast. Hopefully there was something there that was really... Yeah, that made sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, first of all, made sense. But no, it did. It was really great. Um, I think we're just going to finish uh, with a prayer and then um, we'll wrap up this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight and for your word, first and foremost, God, that we can know you through your word that we can know truths, Lord, about us, about this world that we live in, and the world to come, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you, through your Son, have you have defeated sin and death, Lord, and so that we can have hope in you, Lord, that death does not get the final say, but, Lord, that you, as you said, that you have overcome the world. And so, Lord, we, just, we do not leave in fear tonight, and we do not leave in any sense of the word um, worried, about what might happen, God, but we've put our complete trust in you, Jesus, knowing that you have us completely in your hands. And so we just commit the rest of this night and uh, the week to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.